0: Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Jen Ripple, and she'll be answering your questions on "Done: the making of a magazine. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we are broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Jen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your questions. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on the right side of our webpages, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This podcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast, and when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing, and also hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and share the knowledge that we'll be providing here tonight. Also, I want to let you know about a new social media app that I and many of our guests, including Jen Ripple, have been participating in, and it's being used for conversations on fly fishing. It's called Clubhouse. And we've started a club called the Fly Fishing Club, and that club, we're hosting a room called Fly Fishing Q&A every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Clubhouse is like a conference call where people can talk with each other live. So I've invited the top fly fishers that have been on my shows to join in the conversations. And if you're a member of Clubhouse, just follow me on Clubhouse and you'll be notified when I open the rooms. If you're not a member, you need to join. And to join, you have to have an invitation. So if you need an invitation, contact me. Just send me an email at roger at askaboutflyfishing.com. Again, roger at askaboutflyfishing.com. Send me an email, send me your cell phone number, and then I'll send you an invitation. So again, we're hosting the Fly Fishing Q&A at, uh, Clubhouse every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So we hope to see you there. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted as the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. Doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Jen Ripple about Dunn, the making of a magazine. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest Spring Creek. It's a massive clear running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com. Again, that's leesferryanglers.com, or call them at 800-962-9755. 800 962 9755. Five. Before we introduce Jen I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away for tonight and for our drawing tonight we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the fly fishing and tying journal so you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing now if you haven't registered yet for the drawing you can do so now just go to our home page at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Jen's section that says register for the free drawing click on that link fill out the form and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show we will also be giving away a copy of jen's latest book his latest book a copy of one of the books from stackpole books that we have uh, available i have a list of books from stackpole that whoever wins tonight i will send them the list you can pick a book from the list and and you'll be the winner so here's how you can win must be the first person to answer the question We ask at the end of the show, and the question would be something that Jen and I talk about during the show. Sometimes it's a two-part question, I try to make it harder. But anyway, take notes during the show, pay attention, and whoever types the fastest and gets the correct answer first will win a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. Our guest tonight is Jen Ripple. Jen is the editor-in-chief and publisher of the International Fly Fishing Lifestyle magazine, Dunn Magazine. In addition to her work at Dunn, she writes for Fly Fishing Women's Buyer's Guide for Outside Magazine, and the Women's Best of Column for Gray Sporting Journal, among others. She is a member of the Executive Board of Directors for Fly Fishers International, member of the Board of Directors for the Professional Outdoor Media Association, member of the Executive Board of Directors for the Harpeth River Conservancy, and member of the Advisory Committee for the TU Service Partnership and a former member of the board of directors for the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. She has been named Southerner of the Year by Southern Living Magazine and is considered one of the top women changing the sport of fly fishing. Jen is a professional angler and conference speaker who spends her time empowering anglers by teaching fly tying and casting clinics, speaking nationwide on a variety of topics, and devoting her time to conservation efforts through nonprofits. A sounding board for women. In this currently male dominated sport, Jen has created a home base for women worldwide to connect and engage in the art of fly fishing. Jen, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio.
1: Hey, Roger. Thank you so much. Gosh, reading that whole big bio makes me feel like I should shorten it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, quit doing so much, you know? <laughs> That's oh, my the gosh. Problem makes me tired thinking
1: about
0: it yeah well you've been quite involved which uh, says a lot so this is a bit different show for me generally we do some kind of how-to's and talking about fisheries and talking about how to fish and stuff but this is a little aspect that a lot of the people out there in the fly fishing world have aspirations to do a lot of things whether it be a guide be a magazine publisher, own a fly shop. I mean, there's all kinds, be a business rep, but there's all kinds of business-oriented things. So you took the direction of making a magazine. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And so it's a bit different show. I'm anxious to dive in here. First, let's get a little background on you. How did you get started fly fishing?
1: Yeah, so I actually came into fly fishing through the back door of fly tying. So I started tying flies before I started fishing. And I picked that up later in life. I think it was like maybe 36, 38. I'm like, I'm aging myself here. You can do the math. But yeah, I was working at the University of Michigan and it was a really cold winter and I was looking for something to do. And so I got on Craigslist and found a fly tying class at the local fly shop, which was called Colton Bay Outfitters in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I didn't, I didn't even really know what that was, but I thought, well, I'm not the type to go crochet or learn more or something like that. I like to do things that are outside of the box, so to speak. And I honestly took the class because it sounded interesting and it was really inexpensive. So it was like probably like 65 bucks for eight classes or 85 bucks for six classes. I can't really remember one of those two. And uh, I took the class and but from the moment I walked in the fly shop, I just felt like I was home and then I became this obsessed fool, right? I, like, tied flies all winter long. And then the Huron River, which is a bass river, runs through the campus of the University of Michigan. And so I would literally leave my desk and go down to my car, throw my waders on, and then just spend hours after work teaching myself to fish in the Huron River.
0: That's This always intrigues me because Tim Camisa, who – has been on my show here and also is on Clubhouse with us. You know, mm-hmm. he he did the same thing. He said he started tying flies before he started fishing them, and I always find that interesting. Because why would you tie flies if you're not going to go fishing? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it seems uh, I don't know. To me, it always seems like, gosh, that's what, yeah, it's coming in the back door kind of. But the more and more, I find people that do that because they're interested in the art of tying. I guess first of all, but yeah. And so you didn't fish like spinning gear or anything before that.
1: About. Two weeks ago, I caught my first fish ever on a spinning rod. <laughs> I had never fished spinning gear or spin cast oh, gear wow. or bait casters or anything like that. I guess when I was a really young girl, we had a, a cabin up north in Presque Isle, Wisconsin. And that was on a little private lake. And back in the day, probably when I was really young, I kind of remember using a cane pole, which I guess maybe is Kankara these days.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you I... know,
1: an old cane pole and a bobber and a worm but man i'm telling you it's just a very vague memory it's not like i grew up and i grew up on a lake in wisconsin you would think that i would have picked up fishing but i just really never did and yeah i mean for me i feel like fly tying is more of a creative process and something that if you're intrigued by fly fishing but you're intimidated by fly casting then maybe it's a way to get involved and to learn through the back door, as I always like to say. It's like it's not intimidating to take a fly time class, whereas it, it can be a little intimidating to take a fly casting class.
0: Yeah, you're on stage there, aren't you? Oh,
1: so, yeah.
0: Yeah, good thing to do, though. I encourage everybody, I don't care how long you've been fishing, go get a tune-up with a certified instructor. You'll be amazed at oh, the my goodness. tweaking they can do with you. Yeah, especially if you're fishing the salt or something where you need some different skill sets than for trout and so forth. Maria Ellis in Connecticut, I think you know her, but the way she wrote her question, but she wants to know where is your favorite place to fish?
1: So Dr. Ellis Maria is so amazing. I met her when I went to go speak in Connecticut. She is a good friend of mine and I've actually had the privilege of fishing with her. She's an excellent angler. So my favorite place to fish, I have been around the world and I would have to say that my favorite place to fish is still the Driftless area of Wisconsin. And I didn't even recognize, I grew up in Wisconsin, but I didn't even recognize that there was a place like the Driftless area of Wisconsin When I lived there, I had been fishing for a number of years already and happened to have moved back to the Chicagoland area. And my club there, my fly fishing club in Chicago was taking a class to the Dripless area. And I was like, what is that? Well, little did I know, I grew up like two hours away from there. And it's some of the most beautiful water, 3,000 miles of spring creeks, almost all of which are public access only and i think that you've had jerry meyer on the show before and she has a a fly shop in barocco wisconsin which is in the heart of the Driftless area and i'm telling you that is still one of my absolute favorite places to go
0: yeah yeah we
1: i don't even like trout and it's still one of my favorite places (laughs) to go
0: (laughs) well it must be pretty i haven't been there but uh sounds pretty yeah we did do a show with jerry meyer and uh, i've done another show on the Driftless area so if you're out in our archive, just go to the archive and type in "driftless" and you'll pick up those shows if you're interested in finding more about that area. But and then okay, so we know you don't particularly like trout now. <laughs> what do you like to fish for most? Is there I like species? not
1: one species, but one type of fishing. So I love to fish for salt anything that's swimming in salt water. To me, a very small ladyfish will give you a run for your money much more than even a pike or a muskie in freshwater, right? They're just stronger, different creatures. And But if I had to fish for just one type of fish, I would stand on the front of a flat float any day of the year and fish for permits.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I agree. That is, The ocean fish are just across the board stronger. I mean, I've hooked up with small little jacks down in Belize, and think of you a good fight, I mean, when we're talking only maybe a sixteen inch fish, but it was it fights like it's thirty inches, pretty incredible, well, well
1: and it's so true because the first time that you ever catch a fish on a fly in salt water, you feel like you have a shark on the end, right, and then you pull it yeah. up, and it's like it is like that foot long jack, and you're like, "How is this fish fighting me like that? You could just swear it's bigger than that." And the other thing about saltwater is you never know what's going to be on the end of your line. Yeah. If you're fishing in a trout river, you know what? You're going to catch trout on the end. There might be a variation between like brown trout or rainbow or cutthroat or brook trout. But in saltwater, there are just so many options and so many opportunities.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was sailing with one of my friends, and this was in Belize too, but I was just trolling because every time the sailboat would be sailing, we'd troll because we were looking for dinner you know that night or whatever, <laughs> and I remember I had the rod and it probably had like eighty pound test or something. I mean, something really heavy, and something took my lure and just took off, and it felt <laughs> so heavy, and it just popped that line like. And I still to this day have no clue what that was. You wonder uh-huh. what was that on the end of that I that, know. that made that eighty pound test look like nothing? Just snapped it. So oh, anyway, oh for sure, uh, yep fond memory. I still want to know what that was. (laughs) What brought you, so you started out just kind of as a hobby, and how did you get involved more in fly fishing and get into the business side of things?
1: Yeah, so interestingly, I got really into fly fishing, and I started just becoming this obsessed bull, which I'm sure none of your followers can even understand the obsession (laughs) of fly fishing, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: And so I moved from Ann Arbor back to the Chicagoland area, and I got involved with a local fly tying class that happened to be literally like on the same block as where my house was that I was living in. And so I went there, and when I was talking to the guy, his name is Eric, and he's from Corns, Rod, and Rio in the Chicagoland area. And it's more of a kind of like a, a rod building shop than it is a fly shop, but it has fly tying material in it. And he was doing a fly tying class. And the guy who had just started the fly tying class, had also just started a Midwest fly fishing magazine called a tight loop magazine. And he said, Oh, you should look at this magazine. It's brand new. It's digital only. And the guy who just started it is doing our fly tying class. So I started going to the class and met the owner and actually web developer who had written all the code for that online only magazine. His name's Kurt Coppola. And I had met him at the fly tying class. And I remember like the first class, he looks at me and I'd been tying flies for years. And he looks at me and he's like, well, do you know how to do that? And I was like, yeah, I know how to dub (laughs) hair on a line. And after a little bit, he realized, had known that I was writing a blog at that time. It wasn't a fishing blog or anything. It was completely a different category. And he said, would you ever be interested in writing a column for a tight loop magazine? Like we're looking for a woman to write a woman's column. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'd love to do that. So I started Writing a woman's column for this Midwest fly fishing magazine. It was very, very male dominated. My columns consisted of very double entendre kind of columns. Like I wrote articles like The Sex Hatch and Eight Inches and all these ridiculous oh, know, kind of things. <laughs> and, and I love to write double entendre stuff, but that's really that writing for that column is what really got me involved in the industry. I never had any. in inclination to get involved in the industry and it was like I think nowadays a lot of people are like oh I want to get into the fly fishing industry I want free gear and I'm gonna make a whole bunch of money in fly fishing and for me it was not that I was yeah I just kind of fell into it the same way that I fell into fly tying and fly fishing to begin with it was a, a super big passion that I really loved and then my advancement into the industry came organically out of my love for fly fishing not the other way around
0: Yeah, so were you kind of a self-taught writer, or did you have writing experience prior to your blogging and so forth?
1: No, when blogs first became a thing, I kind of wrote a blog that was like catharsis for some stuff that I'd gone through in my life, and I'm not a formally trained, I don't have a background in journalism, or in publishing, or in magazines, or anything like that. It was just literally from the heart, and in school, I was always a really good writer, and I was always a really good public speaker, and So I was always involved in like forensics speaking and that kind of stuff. But as far as other than just being a really good student, I had no background in publishing or writing at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, I mean, you said, how long did that last? And how, I guess what I'm looking for is what was your journey from that point to starting done.
1: Mm-hmm. I probably started writing for a tight loop magazine in like maybe 2009, 2010 or so. And then in 2013, I started looking around. I got tired of writing, not that it wasn't a great magazine, because it was, and not that I didn't enjoy the column I was writing, but I really wanted to write a meaty piece for a woman's magazine. And in June of 2013, I started looking around for a woman's magazine to write for. It took me about two hours to realize there wasn't one and after looking for it online and not finding anything that I could submit my article to, I went back to the editor and web designer for a tight loop magazine and said to him, what do you think about me starting a women's fly fishing magazine? And he said the same thing that I Oh, there's gotta be one out there. So he looked for a day or so and came back and said, you know what? You're right. There isn't one out there. And so that was June of 2013. And at that point then, I mean, I'm not easily offended in any way. So I just started going out there and asking every woman that I thought was really cool and doing something neat in the fly fishing space if they would be interested in writing an article for a woman's magazine. And to my surprise, they all said yes. And so we had our first magazine by September.
0: Wow. Simple as that. So did you have a concept for Dunn when you started? I mean, was there an, an overall reaching goal that you wanted to set with magazine?
1: Well, I, so when I started out with Dunn, I think in the beginning, I'd like to say that this was all really planned and I had this big business plan and all of that, but I really didn't. I just really wanted to see, I wanted to be able to allow women a platform to be able to tell their stories because they didn't have that. And I knew I would have wanted that kind of foundation and that kind of camaraderie. When I first started fishing, I looking The first magazine, obviously, was just like, oh, wow, I got all these women who want to tell their story, and this is really cool. But then as the magazine progressed in the editions to come, I solidified a plan. And my goal has always been to empower women.
0: Okay, Jen, can you hear me now?
1: Yep, I can hear you.
0: Okay, I could not hear you. So everybody was saying that. They could hear both of us, but I couldn't hear yeah, you. Yeah, I kept so. saying,
1: I can hear you. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Weird. Okay. Well, that's a new one. Well, I'm glad you stuck with it, trying to figure where we left off. I think we were talking about your original plan and how it changed, and I was yeah. looking for an overall direction, I think we were talking about.
1: Yeah, And I'll just kind of pick up where I I left off. I'm not sure where you couldn't hear me, but yeah, I just really wanted to write for a woman's magazine and the direction of it. When I think about getting women involved in the art of fly fishing and wanting to pick up a fly rod, I think about empowering them to do that. And for me, the way that something that is empowering is not by watching a professional who's out there doing it. And I could talk about the professional women in the sport who are amazing, April Boki, who's fantastic and goes out there and catches these beautiful steelhead in British Columbia, but that doesn't say to the everyday woman that it's something that they could do. Right. And so for me, as the magazine progressed, I wanted to empower more women, everyday women, to get out there. And so we started to tell the everyday woman story. Stories like a woman who goes to Ecuador for the first time and gets a guide and takes a a fly fishing trip for the first time and catches beautiful trout out there in Ecuador. That says that and has a great time doing it. That says, wow, I might be able to pick up a fly rod and not be perfect at casting and still have a great time, right? Or stories like a woman who... Is a young woman and whose dad always was fly fishing and always asked her to come with, and she was always too busy with her friends or with school or whatever. And then her dad died unexpectedly, and she picked up his fly gear that she found in the garage and put it on and worked through the stages of grief with a fly rod, right? That Those are stories that we can all relate to, and that's what makes fly fishing so exciting, right? Something that is, doesn't have to be super expensive and doesn't have to be super hard and doesn't have to be just for the old white executive, right? It can be for anybody. Anybody can pick up a fly rod, not have any experience, go to their local pond, and catch fish and have a great time. Yeah, and especially as a woman, right? Because as a woman, it's intimidating anyway to get out there because fly fishing has been dubbed for so long, and not so much anymore, but back in the day, a, a man's sport, right? And so seeing other women out there, maybe not catching fish, but having a good time and tripping in the water and filling up their waders or drinking a beer with their friends in a drift boat on a beautiful day down the river, you know, or just going to the local Bluegill pond and catching fish and having fun. That's what grows the sport of fly fishing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the direction you've taken the magazine. Now, yep. I mean, it still continues to be that way. Okay, good, good. Absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, and I'll be right back, and we can continue the talk about Dunn magazine. There are not many places in the world where you can fly fish for permit, tarpon, bonefish, and snook all within a few miles of each other, but you can in Belize. When you fish with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest fly fishing in Belize. You'll start out from Placencia and take just a 30-minute boat ride to your lodging on the island. Once you're there, you'll be fishing lagoons full of tarpon and targeting permit on the flats of Permit Alley. Bonefish and snook are ready for your cast as well. Charlie Leslie, with over 50 years of experience in the waters of Belize, his son Marlon Leslie and their other hand-picked guides know the local waters like no others. Book your next Belize adventure now with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing. Visit CharlieLeslieFlyFishing.com or call 303-430-4634. Again, CharlieLeslieFlyFishing.com or call 303-430-4634. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Jen Ripple about Dunn, the making of the magazine. If you'd like to ask Jen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com, and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, Jen, I always ask my guests, so what's going on in your fly fishing world besides Dunn Magazine? Do you have other projects? Are you still writing for other publications? What's up?
1: Yeah. Yes, I do write for other publications. I write the Women's Fly Fishing Kit for the Outside Magazine by the Buyer's Guide for Fall and Summer. And then I write the Women's Best of Column for Grace Sporting Journal. I also write a bunch of stuff for Fly Fishers Magazine. And currently, I am working on the other side of the desk with a company called Gunpowder. And I work with specifically the public relations or the PR for pure fishing, which is hardy and Gray's fly rods and things I don't really know that much about, like Penn and Abu Garcia and Berkeley and that kind of stuff. And then, and also Academy Sports. It keeps me busy, especially at the moment. Done is in printing, given all things the pandemic. So it's been fun to learn a whole new set of skills on the other side of the PR world. Usually I'm used to PR people reaching out to me as an editor and saying, hey, would you like to learn about our new gear? And now I get to say, wow, there's a lot of new gear out there. Who can I actually put this in the hands of? Yeah, cool,
0: cool. Thanks for sharing that. And if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, they can just send me an email at Jen, J-E-N, at DunnMagazine.com. And Dunn, okay. obviously, is spelled D-U-N like the Mayfly. So not right, G-O-N-E, right. not D-U-N-N. D-U-N.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. When did you say you started Dunn? Was it four years ago?
1: It was eight years ago in 2008. Oh, eight years
0: ago. Yeah. 2015.
1: 13.
0: Oh, 13. Yeah, I can't do math. I've never been good at math. <laughs> so, And then how often do you publish the magazine?
1: So the magazine, up until the pandemic, was published quarterly, so four editions a year. When it was – when I started Done and when I – my whole premise for Done was going to be digital only back in 2013 because in 2013 people were saying that print was dying and everything was going to digital. And, and I'm very conservation-minded, and so I thought the the just the possibility of printing a magazine – And the conservation aspects of that was not, it didn't sit right with me. And so in 2013, when I started the magazine, it was only going to be digital. And then after we'd been around for about three years or so, people started saying, where can I buy your magazine? When are you going to print the magazine? So then we started printing a magazine. So originally when it was digital, it was six times a year. And then when we went to print, it was quarterly. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you going planning on going back to the printed version? Or?
1: I am planning on going back to the print edition. I mean, I love the print edition. Dunn is, it's an interesting demon, right? Because as a woman's magazine, you still fight against manufacturers who think that women are not a big enough target and don't hold enough real estate in order to advertise in a woman's magazine. So we fight always about for ad dollars and our magazine is printed on ad dollars and it, it's not a cheap magazine. It it costs about almost $200,000 a year just to print four magazines. At this moment, we are at some point, it can't just be a labor of love anymore. And given all things pandemic, the ability for us to print again will be because manufacturers have stepped up to the plate and said that they value it. But until that point, we were fortunate as a magazine that we started out digitally. And so our digital audience has always been extremely larger than our print audience. When the pandemic hit and everything was just going to online, we just fell right back into step to where we were. And so if you, the good news is that if you're just discovering done or you love done, you can see all of our content online at this point for free. And we have over 500 articles up there right now that are written by amazing women and some men, because we do publish some articles by men. And so whether you want educational conservation or just empowering articles right now, even though we are digital, you can still see those all for free.
0: Okay, good. Yeah. Now when you, there's something to be said, it's just kind of like a book as well as, I mean, I always love to hold a book to read and, don't particularly like reading on a Kindle or something like that. <laughs> so agreed. that I agreed. I
1: know. Yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: yeah, I understand why people would like to have that magazine in their hands and you know, I just I love the smell of the ink. It's it's just something about it. I don't know, ever since I was little. But what yeah, and when you talked about the advertising struggles, it's kind of a fickle industry as far as that goes anyway. So I can imagine how tough it is for you, given that they think your audience isn't large enough. But Even on the other side of things, it's hard to get those advertising dollars. A lot of the podcasts and so forth are after those dollars too nowadays, and they're not easy to come by. But then again, you look back and you look at Microsoft and Apple, and I remember when I was developing software years ago that we wouldn't develop anything for Apple because they only had 6% of the market. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's right. You know, <laughs> guess that's what? Right.
0: <laughs> Things have changed, so never give up. That's right. We're you. not
1: going anywhere. It's a challenge, but you know what? As a, a woman's fly fishing magazine, we are used to challenges, and we are up for the task. So when you ask if we're going to print again, I say absolutely. It's just a matter of timing.
0: Yeah. What do you think your biggest – is advertising your greatest challenge with done or is there another – big challenge that you have
1: as far as print done I would say that is my biggest challenge for sure I mean it's an expensive magazine all the paper because I'm so conservation minded I'm not going to give up the fact that our paper is recycled that's the only thing that I will print it on and that our our inks are vegetable inks that's the only ink that I'll use and it's big and it's beautiful and yeah I could go to a smaller glossy kind of cheaper magazine but why would I do that I made the magazine that I wanted to see and that I wanted to read and That was more of a coffee table magazine, and I won't give up on that. That has definitely been the biggest issue as far as, and the biggest challenge as far as done print. I would say the biggest challenge for done as a whole has always been being legitimized. A lot of people will say things like, oh, like I had a man say to me one time, oh, great, you're women, and you fish, get oh. over yourself, well, you know what that sounds, maybe that's true, but the reality is that there are for every one done, there are a hundred men's magazines out there that cater to the male angler, and yeah. women needed a place, and yeah. I'm happy to give them that foundation, whether it be in print or in digital at the moment. I mean, I still believe. That there is a place for women on the water. I mean, if we just talk about fly fishing and the history of women in fly fishing, the first book on fly fishing was written in the 15th century by a woman. So women have always made strides in fly fishing and they've always had a foundation. They just have to be reminded of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's always when people are in the majority, they don't understand the view from the minority. You know what I mean? Whether it's sexism or racism or whatever, it's, you don't know if you haven't been on the other side. I mean, men don't know what it's like being a woman and the struggles that you have to face, which are everyday struggles for you, but for men, they aren't necessarily. But yeah, it's, yeah. When I hear comments like that, it just blows me away. I just can't believe that people... Think like that but anyway good for you good for you go for it one thing i there was a cpr colorado public radio i was listening to the car the other day and they were interviewing grade school kids and they all said what did you learn in the pandemic during the pandemic and at school and stuff and a bunch of them said i learned that i can do anything that i want in life if i try hard enough oh Uh, it's
1: amazing i love that yeah
0: Yeah, it's the right attitude yep and i'll send you a cartoon too jen the never give up cartoon that somebody shared with me you'll love (laughs) it yeah So what do you think your greatest strength in your role as an editor is for the magazine?
1: I would say my greatest strength is the ability to connect people. So I love to network and I love to meet new people. And I think that my greatest strength is that when I see a really great article that isn't a fit for us or a great product that isn't a fit for us, I love to connect people where that will be of benefit. And I don't think that I'm in this, space as a vacuum especially as a woman angler and as one of the you know first women's fly fishing companies that was put out there i feel like we need to band together and we have the women in fly fishing are especially the ones that are in the industry are a fantastic group and we got there because we didn't say oh look at me look at me we said hey there's a group of us and we need to band together and we need to help each other and so i think it as a as far as my strength, it would definitely be in networking and connecting people.
0: Great, great. What would you say has been your greatest experience while publishing for Dunn that was related to the magazine?
1: My greatest experience, that's an easy one. When I published my first print magazine, I contacted, I wanted to get it into some of the big box stores. I had no idea what I was doing right. This isn't my forte. But I sent it off to Ingram Publishing and not knowing what I was Doing, but they were the ones who were in charge of the big Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million and all of those. And I immediately got an email back and they said, Hey, we'd love to carry your magazine. And I wrote back to them and I said, Do you just like carry everybody's magazine? And they were like, No. <laughs> and I was like, They're like, Why are you asking that? And I said, Well, because you said yes so fast. And they said, Well, because it's such a unique magazine and we really love it. And so they happen to be based in Nashville. And so I went down there with some of the people that are on my staff and we sat in the room and I talked with them and and put the terms together and agreed to put the magazine out there. And I would say that my greatest feat ever in the magazine was walking into a Barnes and Nobles and seeing my magazine in print on the shelf. I was like, oh my goodness. It was like giving birth to a baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Well, you worked hard to get it there and I got the recognition that you deserve. Yeah. Cool, cool. What about funniest experience relating to the magazine?
1: Oh my gosh, funniest experience. Gosh, I don't know. When I think about the magazine, I don't know that I think about funniest. I guess I've been on, I'm a giant cluck, and even though I don't want to make this about me in any way, the only thing that I can think of that's funny about the magazine is the fact that I've been on a number of photo shoots for the magazine and videos for the magazine where I've fallen out of the drift boat I mean or the best at getting caught in trees and everybody thinks oh wow you fish you know for a living and you have been you make a beautiful cast yeah I make beautiful casts, but I also make casts where they get wrapped around me and they get wrapped in the tree and they get stuck on a log and to me that's just fly fishing and I think if I think about maybe not the funniest but the most fun I've ever had fly fishing it would be on the road trips that I do for Rip and Hopper which is with Heather Hodson, where we unite women and take a road trip across the country teaching them how to fly fish and so that's the most fun and we fall in the water and we make terrible casts and we miss fish all the time and I guess that's the
0: most fun oh cool yeah that's lots of fun i'd like to come back to that i well, i'll just i'll make a note for myself but i'm going to take a quick break here and when we come back we'll talk more about done magazine Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable, synthetic, and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products include brushes, fibers, and components have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you'd like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. And we're- talking with Jen Ripple about done the making of a magazine. If you'd like to ask Jen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and fill out that form, and we'll get your question immediately, and we'll try to answer it on the show tonight. And I did see Rich Toms River got your message. I will uh, send you an invitation to Clubhouse, so I just want to let you know I got that. You just brought up something that kind of triggered my mind about traveling and maybe doing road shows for women and stuff. Do you, is there any, is that something you've organized into a, a real endeavor or maybe speaking to non-fishing groups or something like that?
1: Yes. Heather Hudson owns United Women on the Fly. And I would say that between John and United Women on the Fly, if you're a woman in fly fishing, you have been affiliated with either one or both of those organizations. And Heather and I, both of us are very like-minded. We, are not really about making it about us, but about making it about the collective of women in fly fishing and growing the sport. And so we teamed up and we did these road trips, and they just became something that we started out as just a fun thing to do, but now it's really grown into like a community sport. So when we did our last one, we went all around Florida and then into Louisiana fishing for redfish. And we had community events where Fly Fishers International does this like bronze casting challenge. And so we did the bronze casting challenge at all these four or five different places that we stopped at and we opened it up to community. And so people that were already fly anglers that wanted to participate in the bronze casting challenge could come out and be tested for that. But then we also opened it up to the community who wanted to learn to cast a fly rod and so we had a whole bunch of people along this whole road trip that came out just to pick up a fly rod and to cast it and see what that was like and that it has been a really great way that we can not only break down the intimidation of casting that rod because it can be intimidating but also getting the the local community involved and on each one of those stops we actually partnered with either a fly fishers international club or a local fly fishing club that was in those areas so that when people from the community came out and they cast those fly rods, we immediately could plug them into their local community so that they could continue on with their learning.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea because it seems like if you can reach outside of the fly fishing community, then that's where your market really is, As to bring the ladies in into the world of fly fishing. I know my partner, Julie, it's been kind of a, a process of getting her to be fishing, and I let her ask me. <laughs> uh-huh. you know, I never pushed it on her, but we go down to the lake here, and I'm fooling around with the grandkids, and pretty soon, well, can I have a rod? I want to try that, and so bit by bit, and I got her rowing the drift boat, which she's a pretty good rower, but it was all kind of not forceful at all. It's something she had to want to do, and that seemed to work for her. It's her decision, not, not mine, to, to get her involved, but she doesn't have the passion you have. <laughs> That's for sure. Hey, That's for if she can sure. row
1: a drift boat, she's ahead of me because I am a terrible drift boat rower.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, it takes a lot a skill. to read, read the river, yeah, yep, it does. Well, good. Thinking about the publishing business here, did you lay out the magazine, whether it be digital or print yourself, or did you have somebody do that for you? How did you manage that? No.
1: So that's all done in house. So it's all done in, in design. And I have laid it out myself. Yes.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And is that something you just learned along the way? Yeah. I have a really
1: good mentor in the editor who was from a tight loop magazine and he taught me everything that i know in indesign and helped lay out the first bunch of magazines and is an excellent brilliant man and that has helped a lot but yeah now i mean you just lay it out yourself and once you learn indesign it's not that difficult of a program and the nice thing that i the thing that i love about the magazine is being able to be creative about it, right? So You can pick the fonts, and you can pick the colors, and you can pick the lines and the layout, and that's the creative process that I love. I love to read the stories, and I love to look at the photos, but it's the layout and the creative that when you see it all come together, that's the process that I love.
0: When you, when looking back at starting the magazine, because it looks like you just kind of jumped in, like, jumping, falling out of the drift boat, (laughs) and you start swimming, and you find a way. What do I have to do? And then I go do it to make this thing happen. Is there anything, mistakes, failures? I don't know that we need to call them failures, but, you know, things that you would have done differently looking back if you were to, say, start a magazine today, you know, what different approach would you take?
1: Yeah, yeah. So well, that's a great question. I feel like if I would have known now what I know then what I know now, I probably would not have started the magazine like I did, right? So ignorance is bliss, so they say, and I didn't know anything about magazines or any of that. And I guess for me, if I would have been brought up or had schooling in an education in publishing and journalism and that kind of stuff, I would have known that creating such an oversized magazine with such high quality paper and vegetable inks and such a heavy magazine would have cost so much money right and I probably would have done it differently maybe I would have made a, a glossy magazine maybe I would have started with a smaller magazine than 144 pages but I could look back at that and say yeah those were all mistakes that I made and if I would have done them if I would do them now knowing what I know I probably would have made a smaller magazine but I don't know that would have been the best right it wouldn't be what it is Today and yeah, I can always look back and say that I would have changed a bunch of things. And I and have I made a bunch of magazine mistakes? Absolutely. Tom Bai, who's from the Drake Magazine, right. after mm-hmm. my first, after I printed my first magazine, I went to him and I said, I mean, he has a background in journalism and he's a brilliant editor. And I said, would you look at the magazine and would you tell me what I'm doing wrong because I don't know what I don't know. And he was kind enough to go through and mark up my first magazine and I still have it. And it is like a third grade teacher has taken a red pen to it, right? you're doing <laughs> This wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And I remember sitting with him in, in Calgary. And he said, if you really, I brought the magazine that I marked up. And if you really want to see it and you were serious about asking me to make it better, then I'll give you this. And I said, absolutely. And he did. And then I went back and I changed all of those things, made the magazine better. I said, my goal is to make every magazine better because I don't, this is not my forte. This is not what I was trained in. I want to make it better. And he has been a great friend and a great mentor and still puts out such a fantastic magazine in the Drake that, I mean, I think the mistakes that I made, he has helped me correct. And do I still make mistakes in every single magazine? Yeah. I do, and it's probably because I look at it too many times. <laughs> you know how you yeah, like yeah. look at something and you just miss it, and that's my biggest fear. Every time I publish a magazine, and I push the send button to go to the printer, I just, when a magazine comes back, I just cannot page through it. I
0: just cannot do it because I'm afraid of will a mistake, and
1: I will never be able yeah. to live with myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I used to I did used to do promotional materials for musicians, rock bands and stuff when I was a commercial photographer. And I remember one particular we did this promo brochure kind of multi fold out thing and, and back then you went to the printer. You didn't print at home. You had to go to the printer and we had everybody, six people, members of the band, read through everything. I, my assistant read through everything and all the copy it goes to the printer and then boom right there was a mistake. How many people looked at this thing and then still didn't see it? So yeah, you, gotta, uh, you just got to let that pass, I think. Yep. Uh, yeah. 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 I can't let that bother you. Yeah. The What do you think is most misunderstood about creating media like that, creating a magazine? I
1: think that it looks from the outside like it's so easy. I've had people come to me and say, well, I'm going to start a magazine. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. But I have the curse of an entrepreneur, I have from the time that I was 20 years old, I have owned a business. And so it's that entrepreneurial curse. And it maybe it looks like it's easy from the outside, because I I thought about the magazine in June. And then by September, I had my first one. But the turmoil and the work and the sleepless nights that went into that beforehand is what nobody sees, right? And so it's always looks easier. It's kind of like social media, we only put our best pictures up there and we only post the ones where we look great about great in all of those photos. And we always post the photo where you're making a perfect cast and what people don't see is all the stuff that's not been put up there. And I I think that's the most misunderstood that it could be so easy and you make it look so easy, but it really is a lot of work. And not that it's not beneficial and it's not rewarding, But it is a lot of hard work to begin as well as any good project is.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's you always hear about these, wow, instant success by somebody. And then you hear the real story. Yeah, it took me 25 years to get that instant success.
1: Yeah, my first business ever was when my first daughter, who is 31 now, when she was born, I wanted to be able to stay home with her and I couldn't afford to. So I actually started a medical transcription company back before there was internet before there was fax machines, before there was any of that. There were just those tapes that you had to like, go to the doctor's office, pick up, come back and do that. But, and it looked like it was so easy as my business grew, my transcription business grew and I had so many employees, but what they didn't see was the fact that I was paying all of them and still digging in the couch cushions to find gas money to go to the doctor's offices, right? To pick up the tape so that I could bring them back so that they could work.
0: <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah. see that
1: part. That's not glamorous.
0: No. Yeah. I remember reading a biography of Bill Gates and how he started the early days of Microsoft when they were three of them in a motel room and writing code and piecing together computers. And there was no nothing on the horizon that would say where he'd be end up being down the road, but he started from meager beginnings. And uh, I always respected that, but yeah. Yeah. It's like you said
1: earlier, right? Never give up. You never know it's around the corner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me uh, do another quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about your writers and how that all happens. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Flyfishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all types of fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Jen Ripple about Dunn, the making of a magazine. If you'd like to ask Jen a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll try to answer your question as they come in tonight. Okay. You originally earlier in the show you said be asked a bunch of friends, a lot of ladies in the industry, and found some writers. Is that still how you find writers? Do you have people approaching you? Do they submit things to you? What? How's it working today?
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, I reached especially for our first magazine. I reached out to anybody and everybody that I could find that I thought was doing amazing things and they would, and ask them to write an article for us. And now for the past, I'd say four years, five years, maybe more than that, we have women that write into us and men that write into us all the time on a weekly basis and submit their stories. And that's how we get our articles today. And I'm not saying that I won't, like if I hear of a woman who's doing a really great thing or I have a specific article I want to write, I don't or want to talk about that I don't reach out to somebody. But the vast majority of our articles today come from the everyday people who write into us and submit the articles. Do
0: do writers get paid?
1: So in the beginning, writers did not get paid because we were a labor of love. And then as the magazine grew, especially with our print, we do pay our authors now.
0: Okay, good. And what is the process for someone that wants to submit work to you? What do they need to do?
1: You just send me either an email through our submissions at dunmagazine.com or just personally to me at jen at dunthemagazine.com. My email goes to not only me but to my managing editor and we will see those articles. Or you can always reach out to me on Instagram or, I mean, People, because I deal with everyday women who I absolutely adore and love, they write to me in any medium possible. So it comes in an in Instagram, in our Facebook page, in my personal Facebook page, in my personal Instagram, on, in my email, you name it. I get articles, all different mediums, and I like it that way.
0: What are you looking for? and a piece.
1: I'm looking for people to tell their everyday story. I want something that's going to be inspiring, and I want an article that is going to reach the heart of a person. And I always say everybody out there has a story. Your fly fishing story is your story. And you know what? Telling that story is, if it's interesting to you, it's going to be interesting to someone else. And with those articles, I will say that Dunn is known for our photography. And you don't have to be a professional photographer. All you need is an iPhone and take photos of your story. And I think that our strong suit is the fact that our photos are submitted by our authors and that helps solidify a story. So when you have the photos that correspond with what they're talking about, with the people that they're talking about, it just makes for a more cohesive article.
0: How many words are you looking for?
1: ah that's a great question everybody always asks that and i always say as long as you have enough photos to support your words i don't care how many
0: words it is (laughs) okay okay fair enough debbie hansen who's down in florida i interviewed debbie debbie's like the bass lady in florida i mean bass on the fly is her deal and and she's well known for it now she asked a question she says In the fly fishing community, much of the focus is often placed on cold water species and techniques, but Dunn does a great job of including features that cover warm water species, bass, panfish, carp, as well as saltwater. My question is, do you see considerably more interest in warm water species now versus five or six years ago? And do you think we'll see this segment of the fly fishing community continue to grow says I appreciate all the things that uh, the crew at Den does to provide helpful fly fishing resources and content. Thank you, Jen. So what do you think about her question?
1: Uh Captain Debbie. I love Debbie Hanson. I have never met her, but I have the utmost respect for her because like you say, she is a amazing angler out there, an amazing captain, and she's doing great things for the sport of Fishing, not just fly fishing, but fishing in general for women. That is a great question and one that I've never been asked before, but I love it because in the past five or six years, I will say that it has moved from just fly fishing for trout in the Pacific Northwest and on your small mountain streams to warm water and fishing anywhere, right? Urban fishing, especially given the pandemic, we saw a huge influx of people who are fishing in their backyards, be they ponds or crappie ponds or bass lakes or a peacock bass in the ditches of miami we saw it all and so i have seen a huge influx and i love that because when people ask me like they're like oh well i'd be in the i'd be in o'hare airport and i'd have my fly rods with me and people would come up to me and they'd say uh, are those pool cues and i'd be like no architectural drawing no you'd be like what is that and i'd say it's a fly rod case and they'd say fly fishing you can't fly fish in Illinois knowing that there are no trout in Illinois and I'd say well yeah you sure can and they'd be like but there are no trout in Illinois and I'd say but you can fish with a fly in any place that there's water and it's legal to fish and I think that I love fishing for sure fly fishing is moving away from just your trout fishing in cold waters these beautiful pristine areas to fishing for uh, fish anywhere that you can find them with a fly. And I think that's great for our fort because the more people fishing on the more pieces of water, the more people are going to be aware of conservation efforts on that particular piece of water. And it doesn't just have to be your mountain streams or your big, beautiful trout streams in Montana. It can be that drainage ditch in Miami, right? And so, yes, Debbie, we have seen a huge change in that, and I think it's going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I remember years ago when carp fishing was just coming on board, and everybody was like, carp? Who wants to catch a carp? And now, (laughs) I mean, it's going to be a snobbish outlook on fishing for carp on the fly. And now, and in fact, I did a I think I did a show like in, when I first started in 2006 with Brad Beefus, I believe, on carp fishing. And back then it was, like I said, kind of snobbish. And then now it's almost like, oh, you caught that carp on a fly? Wow, you're cool. It's not oh, that easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a big fish. Now it's like you're the cool kid on the block if you can catch carp on a fly. It's yeah. Why so
1: do you uh, say that because... When I was going to go, so the first time that I ever fished for saltwater fish, I was when I I joined the ladies tarpon tournament. (laughs) So I mean, go big or go home. And to practice for the ladies tarpon tournament, I would sit at the lower end of Lake Michigan at a BP plant where the carp were huge and fish for carp because it was the only thing that I knew that was big enough and strong enough to kind of possibly maybe give me the ability to fight a tarpon. (laughs) But, yeah, Yeah. carp are amazing. I mean, you can catch a carp. If you can fight a carp, man, you can catch anything, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And they're all over the place. That's just it. Every part of the country, maybe not northern Canada or something, but certainly in the the lower 48 of the U.S., they're everywhere. What types of articles are you finding people are most interested in now? What are the most popular subject matter kinds of things? Is it salt? Is it it trout? Is it warm water?
1: I will say that our most loved and most read article is an article by Charity Rudder out of R&R Fly Fishing in Townsend, Tennessee, and it is on catching High mountain trout. So by far, trout is still our most popular article.
0: Yeah, that's Cherry. I interviewed her husband, Ian. Um, oh yeah. A few years back as well. So I know. Amazing I know that couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing for this. Show, for ask about fly fishing, we always get more downloads and more listeners for trout shows than anything else. And and I seriously like talking about salt, like you you and I talked about earlier. But yeah, the audience still is in trout. For some reason but more and more things will come on carp has certainly come a long ways in the past 15 years are you feeling like so this is a just kind of an industry question are you feeling like there's growing in and i'm not just talking about women i'm just talking about overall uh, a growing interest in fly fishing or do you think it's waning
1: no i think it's still growing and i think yeah. the numbers support that when you look at the number of people that are coming into the sport and i think the biggest challenge that fly fishing is facing is not getting people involved in the sport it's the attrition right it's keeping people in our sport and i don't know exactly why there's been such attrition in the sport people pick it up and they like it and then they leave it and maybe it's because we attract a younger audience these days who are then starting their families and have work commitments and that kind of stuff And so they have less time to spend on their hobbies, but I will say that I do still see a huge influx of people into fly fishing, and even specifically during the pandemic, people picked up a fly rod and a a regular conventional rod, like nobody's business, It's some of the biggest growth that we've seen in the past 10 years, for sure.
0: And for sure, you're also seeing a growth specifically with women?
1: Oh, yeah. Women have been the biggest growing demographic in fly fishing for the past five years.
0: Okay. Okay. What do you, looking forward with Dunn? where do you see Dunn in five years? What will it look like? What will it be?
1: Dunn will have prevailed. Dunn will be stronger than ever. There will be more women out there. We will continue to encourage women. I would say in the next five years, though, as a serial entrepreneur, I would love to find a woman who has a heart for women in fly fishing and who wants to take the reins of Dunn and take it to the next level because my goal with Dunn was always to give women a platform to tell their story it wasn't to keep Dunn forever <laughs> because i always it's the entrepreneurial curse again right it's It's my job to start businesses and then to hand them over. And I would love to see a woman step forward who wants to take the reins and take it to the next level. And so do I think it will always be around? Absolutely. I will do everything in my power to keep it going. And in five years, it will be stronger than ever.
0: I'm glad I'm not the only one that (laughs) has the curse of the entrepreneur. It's like, okay, I got this thing running. All right. Now it's kind of boring. Let me
1: <laughs> I let's go do something it's else. It's terrible. It's so yeah, terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's funny, but yeah, you can't leave well enough alone, right? You know. You I know to, it's true. You know, get
1: out of my own way. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, good. Well, good. Well, I've um, got to wrap things up here, Jen, but it's been great talking with you tonight. Please stick with me for a few more minutes while we give a few prizes away, and we'll kind of tie things up here. Hang tight, and we'll be giving away the one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International, a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, and a, a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. Hang with us, and we'll do that in just about 30 seconds. Reeling and Healing Midwest is a nonprofit organization that champions fly fishing retreats for women surviving and battling all types of cancer. Their mission is to introduce women to the healing powers of the sport of fly fishing and provide a -a one-of-a-kind experience on and off the water. This is accomplished through the elements of fly fishing, positive camaraderie, peer coaching, a nurture and support network, which in turn, renews the spirit and hope of each participant. Reeling and Healing Midwest is in need of trout flies, waders, leaders, fishing equipment, and other items. To view their current wish list and to learn how you can support their retreats, visit fishon.org. That's fishon.org. Or call them at 616-855-4017. 616-855-4017. Just a quick reminder to everyone before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on the homepage in the section under tonight's show. It says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Well, now it's time to give away a few prizes. And um, the drawings that we're going to do now, the names, the winners are randomly selected from our registration database. And if you didn't register by now, it's too late for tonight. But make sure you do so for our next show, and you might have a chance to win some of these uh, great prizes. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we'll give away is a one-year membership to fly fishers international and to learn more about ffi go to flyfishersinternational.org. you heard me earlier talking about the all the great things that they're doing so if you don't win tonight go over there and join and help support fly fishers international so let me uh fire up the database here and see who we have first it's going to be bob garman in pennsylvania bob garman in pennsylvania so congratulations bob And thanks for listening in and uh, participating and playing the game here. And we're also giving away a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com. Amato Books has a lot of great books on fly fishing, so check them out. And our winner for this, let's see here, the winner for this is Allard Van Ev, ever dingin, dingin'. <laughs> Can't pronounce the last name, but Allard. <laughs> uh, I gave it. a I gave it an honest try. He's down in Alabama, and good for you. And sorry, we didn't have any women with <laughs> tonight, but that's the luck of the draw. What can I say? But anyway, congratulations to both of you, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy your prizes. You'll hear from us shortly on on how to get those. Jen, want to thank you. Oh, forgot the book from Stackpole. Hold on, Jen. Can't let you go yet. So the question for tonight is, again, this is to win a book from Stackpole Books. I'll send the the winner a list of the books, and they can pick from that list. What was the first magazine that Jen worked for that kind of got her going in the fly fishing industry and doing some writing and magazine work? What was And you type this in on that form on our homepage where you can ask questions. Just type it in, send it in. First one that gets it correct will... Win themselves a book from Stackpole Books,
1: and I'll send a set of magazines to them as well.
0: oh wow, nice, nice. Let's see here, see if anybody was paying attention and taking notes, so there's a slight delay from when they when we talk and people hear us by the way, Jen so We have to kind of sing and dance and entertain while they get the message and type. So I just keep checking the queue here looking for. Okay, I got one answer, fish on. Maybe that wasn't uh, her guess, Evelyn Adams. I don't think that's what we were looking for.
1: Hi, Evelyn.
0: Oh, here it is. Uh, She wrote back in, tight loop. Yep. Is that good enough? Yeah, tight loop magazine. Yep. Okay, so Evelyn, you did have it. She says, uh, great conversation. Yeah.
1: And since I know that Evelyn already has all of my magazines, tell Evelyn I will send her a special uh, present just for
0: that. Oh, Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> she's listening, so uh, you got that, Evelyn. <laughs> and, Evelyn, I have your email address here, so I will send uh, you that list of books. And uh, do you need her address as well? Nope, I got Jen, it. Or? Okay. Okay, Evelyn, good. And Evelyn, I'll send you the list. You just reply back which book you want and send me your address so that we can get stacked. No, this one will be coming for me so I can send it out to you. So good. Thanks for listening and paying attention. And we've we've got some other ones coming in. Paul Petit got it right too. So we have some other secondary winners here. All righty. Well, Jen, hey, thanks so much for being on the show with me tonight and sharing your experience and your journey for building Dunn Magazine. And it was great to talk with you about, and, and thanks for, for being with us tonight.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. You have a nice evening.
0: Okay. We'll see you on Clubhouse, I'm sure. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. All righty. Hopefully, you've all found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link in the top line of our menu. the archive, you'll find all of our past shows. We've got close to 340 shows now, I think. You can search by keyword phrase like trout, tarpon, Madison River, whatever, and uh, you'll find all kinds of great shows and educational material that I know you'll enjoy. Our next broadcast will be on June 16th, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'm going to interview Christian Bacasa. And our topic for the show will be fly fishing for leadership. We know good leadership when we see it, just as we know a good fly angler when when we meet on the river. And it's not their age or equipment or the flies stuck in their wader patch. It's the way they behave towards the river, the fish, the environment, their dog, and their fellow anglers. Can we learn fundamental leadership principles through fly fishing? Listen in and learn from Christian Bacasa on how leadership and fly fishing can work together to help you in your pursuits. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, and Enrico Puglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future podcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing the Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.